You will recall from last week that the whole narrative of Joseph closely resembles the storyline of our Savior. Here is one whom God said would rule, would reign. And he comes to his brothers, his own, his own received him not, but he is cast down by them, left for dead. They think that nothing will become of his appointment to rule over them. But while he's left for dead, behind the scenes there's a lot going on. The will of Potiphar prospers in Joseph's hand. The will of the manager of the prison prospers in Joseph's hand. His work is effectual. And then he is raised up and exalted to the right hand of the power of Egypt such that his brothers have now to come to him finding that indeed the one whom God has appointed to reign over them is in fact reigning over them and they need to seek forgiveness for their sins against him and provision from him in order that their lives might be sustained we see that that story reads very 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 similarly to the story of Christ Jesus who of course was Set to us, we received him not, we cast him down, but he was raised and exalted, and now we must all recognize that he rules and reigns, and look to him for forgiveness, look to him for the provision that we need for our lives. This is the story of Israel, the generations of Jacob. It's told over and over again in many ways throughout the Old Testament until it's told the ultimate way in the new as Christ Jesus shows up. Well, today we zoom in on part of that story. The Father's sending of the Son benevolently. In verse 12, we read that Joseph's brothers had gone to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Israel, who is the father of all of these pasturing their flock near Shechem, says to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. You have a father sending and a willing son. What is the purpose of this mission? Verse 14, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. He's gone to make sure they're well, to check on them. This is a sending and a going, motivated by love, motivated by concern. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
in verses 15 to 17, we read something that seems very insignificant. A man found Joseph wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, What are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Why could the narrative not just skip from the end of verse 14 to the end of verse 17? So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Why this little interchange about a man who finds him and gives him directions? I think it's simply this. In this instance, even a stranger treats Joseph kindly and helps him on his way. This is only going to accentuate the evil, hostile reception that Joseph gets when he actually comes to his brothers. Even a stranger has helped him on his way. It sets us up to see the contrast even more clearly between the kind of reception that Joseph should have got when he arrived at his brother's and the kind of reception that he did in fact get when he came to his brother's. Notice the stark contrast between this man helping him and then in verse 18, his brothers who seeing him from afar before he comes near to them conspire against him to kill him. This is the reception that he gets from his brothers. They conspire to kill him. They conspire from afar before he even gets to them. What this signifies is that they couldn't care less why he's coming to them. It doesn't matter what his mission is. They reject him a priori. They see him coming. They don't wait to see what news from the home front. They don't wait to see perhaps if he's brought them provisions. If he might have a sack of money, coins in the folds of his garment somewhere. They don't wait to see if he's bringing bad news or a rebuke from the Father or something. They don't care why he's coming. The fact that they conspire against him when he's still afar off shows that they're prepared to kill him without regard for his mission. Which is astounding. Because in this case, his mission is their well-being. He's coming as an agent of his father for their good. See if they lack anything in order that the father might provide for them. Of course, killing anyone is evil. Thou shalt not kill. Obviously, I'm not talking about just war and all that kind of stuff, but taking someone's life needlessly is evil. How much more your brother... And how much more your brother who comes to you with no ill will actually seeking your best interests. This is very wicked. 
Why do they hate him so much? Why do they resent him so much? Because of the prophecies that have been made over his life. That he would rule over them. Here comes this dreamer. The end of verse 19. That's what's foremost in their minds. His dreams. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. And we will see what will become of his dreams. They will not have this man rule over them. Reuben here is the oldest. He's no saint. We read of his sins elsewhere. But in this passage, he wants to do something good. He wants to try to preserve Joseph's life. But even look at the way he does it. Verse 22, shed no blood, throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. Verse 29, when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. Consider this. Why? Why so... With the pretense of one thing, when really his intention is another. Why not oppose the rest of the brothers outright and say, no, let's not do this thing. It's wicked. It's evil. Spare his life. Consider that the odds would still be ten on two should they decide to treat him like Joseph. Reuben presumably knows that, how evil these guys are. How profound their hatred for their brother Joseph. That he's not even willing to oppose them, his own brothers, directly, to take a stand on behalf of his brother. This is how wicked these guys are. That if he says something, he's just as likely to get, to suffer the same fate as the brother whom he's defending. It's like they're the mafia or something. You know, like they intend to kill someone. You wouldn't dare say, well, I don't know. Should we? Should we really, guys? Because you know full well what's going to happen is you're just going to be buried next to him. (laughs) This is how evil these guys are. This is what's going on in this section. Look even... And what they do, after throwing him into a pit with no water in it, with the full intention of leaving him for dead. Remember, Reuben knows that he intends to come back for him. But he's not being stored in that pit for safekeeping from the perspective of the other ten brothers. So they throw him in an empty pit which we in which we explicitly read there was no water. Leave him for dead. And then... 
The very next thing we read in verse 25, then they sat down to eat. Well, lunchtime. Again, this is, this is so cold. Again, this is mafia-like. Go and, go and kill someone in the morning and then go for lunch. The workday is half done. Take a break. You see how cold this is? And what's their plan to cover it up? They're going to lie to their father. Verse 20. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him. That's in fact what they actually do. Verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. Imagine going to your father knowing full well that his son has been sold into slavery by you and telling him your son's dead. Look, is this your son's robe? We found this in the wilderness. Just imagine how cold your heart would have to be, how callous, how hard-hearted your heart would have to be to go do that. Those of us who are parents, imagine you get a phone call saying, we found a body. We think it might be your son's. Please come down to the morgue and identify it. Imagine, obviously, how, how sick you would feel about that work, that task. How heavy your heart. What grief would wash over you if, in fact, you went down to the morgue and identified, this is my son. They're putting their father through something like that. Falsely. They know full well a fierce animal didn't devour him. But they don't care. They don't care about their father's grief, their father's feelings. They resent their brother's claim on their lives. They will not have this man rule over them. They'd rather him be dead. They'd rather their heads be unbowed. They'd rather their sheaves of wheat be standing. They'd rather their stars not gathered around, bowing down before Him. Their plan to sell Him instead of killing Him. Further accentuates their callousness. Verses verses 26 to 28. Consider the cold reasoning. If he's dead with profit, that's better than him being dead without profit. So cold. Again. What is it going to profit us if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come on, let's sell him. Then he'll still be gone, but at least we'll have something in our pockets. No remorse. They go to their father, carry out this cover-up. Again, unlike Reuben. Reuben here serves to show us some remorse. The other ten, there's no remorse. In fact, consider this. This is, this is the final piece I'm going to mention in just accentuating 
just how evil this is. Look at verse 35. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. All his sons. Still like dad. I'm sorry for your loss. Right? Like what like what did they say? But whatever they said, it was so duplicitous. Because they knew full well they had sold their brother into slavery. Consider the wickedness here of rejecting their brother, whom the Lord had said should rule over them. And not just rejecting his right to rule over them, but actually raising their hands against him to kill him. Consider the absolute wickedness of that act. Now we come to an important question. Who are you in this story? In some churches, this is the part where I would say, you might be like Joseph. You might have been sold into slavery. You might be wondering what's going to happen to you next. <laughs> these, may, these may be some dark days. You might not see the light at the end of the tunnel. But God's got a plan for your life. A plan to prosper you and not to harm you. A plan to give you hope and a future. You're not going to spend the rest of your life in Potiphar's house. Or in the prison. But God is going to exalt you. Are you Joseph? No, you're not Joseph. Remember, Joseph is a type of Christ. God had a plan that his servant should suffer. That he would be pierced for our transgressions. That he would be stricken, smitten, and afflicted. And that the will of the Lord should prosper in his hand. And that he would be exalted. You're not Joseph. So who are you then? Reuben? Reuben, the well-meaning do-gooder? Oh, it's a shame that Jesus died at the hands of those evil men. If I was there, I wouldn't have raised my hands against Jesus. If only I had been one of the disciples, I wouldn't have ran when they came by night to Gethsemane for my master. I would have interposed to save. Or are you the brothers? Surely not. Surely not. The answer, uncomfortable as it may be, is that we were in fact 
We are in fact like the brothers in this story. When we recall that Joseph prefigures Christ, we must see that actually, yes, we are like the brothers. The Father sent the Son into this world for our well-being, motivated by love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. But we read that He came unto His own and His own received Him not. Well, that was the Jews, you might say. It wasn't us, it was the Jews. Did you sing earlier tonight? Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders. It was my sin that held him there. If so... You ought to own that you had a hand in the crucifixion of Jesus, so to speak. If your heart was right towards God, if there was no sin that resisted and resented and rejected God's lordship over you and the lordship of His Son over you, such that you were prepared to have this man rule over you, You wouldn't have had any sin in the first place for Christ to bear to the cross. We sang also, many hands were raised to wound Him. None would interpose to save. Would not you have been among the crowds? Crucify Him. Crucify him. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. At one level, does refer to the Jews, but on another hand, it refers to humans, his creation. those whom He had to be made like in every respect and yet without sin. His brothers. You recall the parable of the vineyard owner who sends servants to the stewards, the tenants of his vineyard that he may get something from them. And they kill the first servant. We kill another and another. And then he says, I will send my son. Surely they will respect him. But what happens when the son comes to the vineyard? You see, this is the way the world, Jew and Gentile together, reacted to Jesus. 
They saw him coming from afar, so to speak. Said, let's kill him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. Then we'll see what becomes of the prophecies. We'll see what becomes of this prophecy that the seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head. We'll see what becomes of this prophecy that he shall rule and reign over us. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Psalm 2, verses 2 and 3. This is what happened when Christ Jesus came into the world. You see, Jesus is a suffering servant, very much like Joseph, who was sent to his brothers for their well-being, for their good, and yet was rejected by them, suffered at their hands, and was cast down. Unlike Joseph, however, who in this passage shows a lack of omniscience, he doesn't even know where his brothers are. Verses 15 to 17, he's looking for them. Unlike Joseph who went unwittingly into this situation. Jesus knew what awaited him. Jesus came willingly to rescue his evil brothers. Hebrews 2 says that it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, in, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise we sang from Psalm 22 earlier and that's where that citation comes from Psalm 22 opens my God, my God, why have you forsaken Jesus quoted from that on the cross. This psalm was penned ultimately with the Lord Jesus Christ in mind. Many, many years before his incarnation. Jesus knew when he became flesh and dwelt among us that this was his lot. To cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And why? So that he could tell of the Lord's name to his brothers. For us, whom he is not ashamed to call brothers, to bring many sons to glory. Christian, to bring you to glory, to bring me to glory. Christ Jesus willingly embraced this role to go and to suffer at the hands of his evil brothers for his evil brothers, for their sake. The Father has loved us with an everlasting love. Not for anything seen in us. Not because we were so lovely. Not because there was something in us to magnify. But simply because of the magnitude of His love. He gave His Son. Sent His Son to check on us. See how we're doing. And provide what's needful for us, so to speak. As Israel sent Joseph. Jesus willingly came. Knowing full well what we needed. Was a Messiah to suffer in our place. To bear the wrath of God for us. In our place. To offer up to God the spotlessness of a life lived in obedience to God's law. Jesus willingly embraced that. Embraced the cross. Embraced that experience of forsakenness on the cross. In order to bring many sons to glory in order to call us brothers. Of course, he didn't stay dead, just as Joseph didn't stay in Potiphar's house or in the prison. And Christ Jesus was raised. And as his brothers had to do with Joseph, so we have to do with Christ. Come to him and ask our brother, for forgiveness and for the provision that will preserve our lives. This is the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came willingly to suffer at the hands of His evil brothers in order to rescue his evil brothers. He is, as we sing from time to time, a friend of sinners.